0: Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Jake Tapper. We've had Jake on the show before talking about his uh, great book, The Outpost. Uh, and he is here today to talk about his new novel, All the Demons Are Here. Uh, we're going to talk about some of his older novels as well. we'll talk about some of the process of writing, etc. Uh, but Jake, thanks for being back on the show. Really appreciate it.
1: It's great. As you know, you are the movie critic I turn to the most. That's that right, is, and I uh, agree with you most of the time.
0: Well, we'll get we'll get that up. We'll get that percentage up. I'll turn you around to, to bunches thinking on all on all movies. Uh, but movies are, play a big part in your in your books here, um, and I, I want to talk about that a little bit uh, as we go on. But let's let's discuss the the new novel first. All right, all the demons are here. It's uh, the third book in. I don't. Do you have a? Is there a name for the series? Is it the like Charlie the Mart- and Margaret
1: Martyr? Okay, mysteries. I guess but, the uh, Charlie
0: and Margaret Martyr mysteries. I like that. That we <laughs> l- get that rolling off the tongue. Uh, but this book is more focused on their children, uh, Ike and Lucy Martyr, yes. uh, who uh, we we kind of meet and uh, get get involved with here. Why don't you run us through uh, the the what is the setup of all the demons are here? What is what's the backstory? What what do people need to know before they pick it up if they haven't read the first two?
1: Well, uh, first of all, I, I write the books. Uh, assuming that people haven't read the previous one or two, so they don't have to read the previous ones. Um, the book is basically about um, the Ike and Lucy. Ike is an AWOL Marine who is working on Evil Knievel's pit crew. It is 1977 in Montana, and it's a wild time in the United States, much less Montana. Evil Knievel is a I I don't know how familiar your listeners are to Evil Knievel with Evil Knievel, but he is a a wild quintessentially American salesman, showman, con artist uh, and the like, and and a great character, not necessarily a great person, but a great character in his own right. Uh, So that's Ike. And then Lucy is his older sister and she is, she's a journalist in DC. She leaves the Washington star newspaper to go work for a brand new, tabloid started by a Murdoch esque family that has moved to d c to get a toehold in the world of media and uh, it's that is that her story is more about her trying to find her trying to solve a, a serial killer uh, the, the crimes of a serial killer which she covers and also just about the rise of tabloid journalism in the u s in nineteen seventy seven but nineteen seventy seven is almost a, a character unto itself because it's such a crazy year. With Evil Knievel, the death of Elvis, UFOs, cults, Studio Fifty Four, disco, the uh, New York City blackout, and, and all the other things going on in the culture at that time.
0: It's uh it's it's great to read. So uh you know uh, the the previous books in the series uh, starts with the the Hellfire Club, which is set in 1950s uh, Washington D.C. Um, then we move to the Devil May Dance, which uh, deals with kind of the Rat Pack era. Uh, of hollywood uh, and and here we are in the '70s and one of the things I really like about them is that they are um, historical novels right they are they 're novels that uh, uh, you know kind of touch on different uh, real life characters, obviously very fictionalized for this uh, for these books, but you know still. Um, still dealing with the 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 kind of history of America, kind of pop history of America. When you were when you sit down to write them, when you all right so you, you sit down to write the Hellfire Club, what is the research process like for this? Obviously you've got a lot uh, you know, just up in your head about McCarthy era Washington. Uh, lots, lots to pull from there. But when you when you are trying to get specifics, names of sitting congressmen, senators, or locations of you know
1: buildings, that sort of thing. What you what are you? Uh, what is your research process like? I do a lot of research, um, but just I mean that's just from my journalistic background that I love nonfiction, and so I read a lot. You know, for the um, for the Hellfire Club, a lot of it was based on real things that happened there was a hellfire club as people may or may not know that was a kind of a sex club in england in the in the 18th 18th century that benjamin franklin visited at one point uh, and that's real so i read two books on the hellfire club the actual one and then i read a lot about joe mccarthy a great book um by uh, jack anderson uh, that was written i think in 1952 uh, fantastic book. Um, and then I read a lot about the comic book hearings and I read about Estes Kefauver. And the first book is about, um, I mean, it's about a lot of things, but w- it's about compromise. It's about people who come to Washington, D.C. to do good things. And then little by little, they lose parts of their soul in order to try to get anything achieved. It's also about, you know, shadowy groups and and uh, the military-industrial complex. I read a lot about I- uh, Eisenhower for that first book, too. And then the second book, um, it's, it's uh, Attorney General... Robert Kennedy basically blackmails Charlie and Margaret to go out and investigate Frank Sinatra to see if he's actually mobbed up or if it's just kind of an act. And and that is that one was based on a real story, too, on the fact that Frank Sinatra, after President Kennedy got elected, wanted President Kennedy to stay with him at his Rancho Mirage estate um, during a visit to California in 1962. And it had the place built up. This is all real a helipad and a place for the reporters to go and extra rooms and this and that. And then he had his heart broken when Kennedy did not go. And he did not go because of the exact reason um, that Charlie and Margaret are sent out in this fictitious version uh, to investigate, which is that people at the FBI told Robert Kennedy, your brother cannot go and hang out with Frank Sinatra. He's mobbed up. So um, a lot of it's real, but then I just have fun playing with all of it.
0: Yeah, and then uh, of course we, we get to the evil Knievel uh, sections of this book, which are, are are super interesting to me. All right, so I you're I'm gonna play fact or fiction here. Uh, did Evil Knievel actually toy with a run for president as you as you have in the book here? No, not that I know. Of. Okay, okay, because I because it's it's really it's really amusing to to watch him, uh, kind of work through the the process of you know uh, trying to figure out what to stand for, and I, I I don't think I'm going too far out on a limb here to suggest that uh, he's kind of modeled in a uh, shall we say Trumpian way in his uh, I mean I think
1: they're I think they're cut from the same cloth I mean you know I, I I think that that just is a fact and then I just took it and played with it um the, the they both and uh, this isn't meant uh, as a slam on Trump or can evil, but they both have this quintessentially American kind of P.T. Barnum quality of let's put on a show let's figure out what people like let's you know, they, they can capture and get news attention, media attention. They can put butts in the seats, they can get followers. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's funny. I, um, I don't know anything about motorcycles and motorcycles are a big part of this book. Uh, Ike drives a motorcycle, Evil Knievel obviously drives a motorcycle. There are lots of scenes where there's motorcycle action pivotal to the plot. And so after I wrote the book, the first draft, I, I found a guy named Mark Gardner, who's a a motorcycle expert and also writer. And I hired him to to edit those parts because I don't know about you, Sonny, but like I hate it when I'm watching a movie uh, or a TV show about journalism or about politics and they just don't even know anything about what they're talking about. It just takes me completely out of it. Um, and so I didn't want that to happen for any, mon- any motorcyclists. Uh, I wanted them to enjoy the book. I don't want them to be like yelling at the pages and saying, you don't know the first thing about motorcycle riding. So anyway, so he edited it and did a great job. Really good guy. And then afterwards he said, I don't know if you'd seen this, but, but I wrote this a few years ago and he had written an essay comparing Evil Knievel to Donald Trump. I, hmm. I, I didn't know. Hmm. I stumbled on Evil Knievel because I was out fishing with some friends in Idaho, uh, back in 2021. And they all loved Evil Knievel, uh, who had jumped, who had attempted to jump the snake river canyon uh in 1974 a few miles away they loved him it, i had completely missed him and i did not see the appeal but as a fiction writer i, I saw the appeal of grabbing him and turning him into a character in the book and, it's, mean, and sonny you might find interesting also just because you're you're a movie guy my understanding is hollywood has been trying to figure out how to make an evil knievel movie i mean there was a shitty one made Starring George Hamilton in like 1970 or 1971, mm-hmm. but like a real Evel Knievel movie. Uh, for years, I heard that, and I don't know if this is true, but I heard that Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Leo DiCaprio, has the rights to it. I don't know. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I can understand why they have a problem with it because he's a horrible guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's an awful yeah. guy. He's a great antagonist for me for my book, but he'd be a horrible protagonist for a for a biopic because he's, you know, he's horrible to his wife and he's anti Semitic and all the rest.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I could see a Paul Thomas Anderson style rambling, Boogie knights esque you know, rise and fall of the great, great American showman sort of thing. I think that could, that could there's work. There's no third, act, sure. there's
1: no third act redemption. There's no, there's no arc. That's, if you just, I mean, that, that
0: could in and of itself be the real American story, right? Uh, the, <laughs> the, but the, uh, you know, look, I, the, the, evil can evil is, is, uh, is interesting again because he, as you say he is the kind of quintessential american um showman entertainer uh, uh raconteur uh, and and we get another glimpse of that in this in this uh in this book with the the death of Elvis which as you mentioned huge kind of pivotal moment in american uh history i how uh when you when you were when you were looking at the um when you were looking at the, 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 his death and that, that kind of surrounding uh, drama, what was it that jumped out at you about how the people reacted to it? Cause there's a really interesting, uh, there's a really interesting, almost biblical scene um, at the, the Graceland uh, mansion after his death in your book.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I, and I did draw on, on the Bible for it as well. Um, that, well, first of all, the death of, Elvis. I loved Elvis, uh, as a kid. So I, you know, I was eight years old in 1977, but I, of all the things I write about in the book, uh, there are only a couple I actually remember. One of them is the death of Elvis. Uh, I had like 30 Elvis albums. Um, and you know, I really, I really loved him. And I, I took his death hard as a kid. Um, just cause I thought he was so cool. And now admittedly, I was a little bit more focused on, Uh, pre 1970 Elvis than I was on uh, the Elvis uh, of the Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. seventies. But what I thought was interesting about the death of Elvis was just like the idea that he did uh, symbolize something. And I actually drew upon a great documentary by one of the Jarecki brothers for some of my Elvis and other acknowledgements in the back. So nobody should think I'm not giving credit to people. There (laughs) are acknowledgements in the back of the book, but, but, um, Elvis, Elvis picked money over quality over and over and over. It happened all the time. Uh, his movies are a great example. His movies are with maybe the possible exception of like three or four of them. Just horrible. They're just horrible movies. Um, and, uh, so he, he represented something about American culture, uh, not just How much people loved him and how cool he seemed and all the good qualities he had, but also some of the negative qualities he had about how he was encouraged to do what was profitable almost every time at at every turn in his career. Yeah, Um,
0: no, I mean, that is uh, this is also one of the takeaways from I did you enjoy Baz Luhrmann's uh, Elvis biopic from from I did. I did. I liked it a lot. I thought it was beautiful.
1: Yeah, and I thought uh, that kid did a great job. I forget his name. Uh, yeah, Austin Butler. Yeah, right. he did a fantastic job. Although I can't, I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to see him and not think <laughs> of Elvis ever again because they look so alike.
0: I want to, I, I want to jump back to something you had mentioned before. Uh, you gave the book to uh, a friend who actually rides motorcycles. He knows, he knows what he's talking about. What was, was there anything he picked up on? Was like, all right, you're, you're talking about this wrong. This is not, this is not correct. What was, what, what was that actual? Uh, process like cuz i was like one thing i really enjoy uh, hearing is when somebody gets something wrong and how they fix it cuz i get things wrong all the time and people are not shy about telling me how to fix it uh so how what, what was there anything that he uh w- when he was reading it was like all right it would actually be more like this than
1: that. Yeah i mean it, he, uh, he's not a he's not a a friend per se he's a he's a guy i found online after reading his writing about motorcycles and i hired him to mm-hmm, edit mm-hmm. the motorcycle parts uh and he was i mean that was just I, I have found as this is my sixth book, and I have found it's much better to get the edits before publishing than after. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I, you know, I just didn't. He he just he said he would just rewrite sections and say no. He would be doing this. He would be doing that. He you know he would just he would do do edits um, on on the technical stuff, um, and uh, and and I would just accept the edits. And most I think I accepted like nine out of 10 of them. I mean, Mm -hmm. percentage wise, it was just, it was, he knew he knows motorcycles. I don't. And I just, I wanted it to read correct. And I also find that uh, when you're a reader, even if you don't know about motorcycles, if you're convinced that the guy writing about it does, you go along with it. So there are times in the book that I will read when I'm rereading the book um, Where Ike, the character who the the book is written in first person in alternating chapters, Uh, Ike writes a chapter, then Lucy writes a chapter, then Ike, then Lucy. So Ike knows about motorcycles. So Ike has to know about motorcycles in his writing. So you just have to believe that Ike knows what he's talking about. And so I'll read, I'll reread the sections and I'm like, well, Ike knows what he's talking about here because Mark helped infuse him with an expertise that I don't have.
0: You mentioned uh, the the structure of this book, which is different from uh, from your previous books, and I, I was curious why why you made that shift from kind of a, a more third person um, yeah, omniscient third person to yeah, to, yeah. A, to a first person like here's this is from their perspective. You know, and the chapter even the chapters themselves are kind of structured differently. You know, Ike's is more. Um, colloquial and familiar, I think, whereas, you know, Lucy's has footnotes because she's, it's like she's writing a chapter in a book. What was, what was your thinking there in terms of
1: uh, the, the, I don't know, authorial intent? Trying something new. Um, uh, Setting a challenge for myself to see if I could do it, to see if I could achieve it, to see if um, writing in third person is, you know, more traditional and it's, um it's easier in some ways. Uh, and I wanted to try something new and this was, it seemed, uh, I don't want to use the word bold, but what challenging, it was a challenge. It was a challenge, you know, can I write a book in first person and can I write in first person for two different people alternating? And how do I do that? How do I do it? So Ike sounds like Ike and Lucy sounds like Lucy and you, you don't need to, check the beginning of the chapter to see who's writing like you can tell ike curses more he talks about music he talks about motorcycles he's writing like a 20 year old dude whereas lucy is more um like an annoying reporter because that's what she is <laughs> an annoying reporter like i am uh and more likely to correct people's misuse of the word ironic more more likely to provide footnotes and your and foot the footnotes are they as a character device, not, uh, not as an informational device. I could have, you know, I, I mean, I, I guess I could have just, you know, included stuff in the, within the body of the text, but I thought it would be, I thought Lucy's character would, would be as a journalist, as a print journalist, as kind of a know-it-all she'd want to provide these footnotes to people. So they know who this Congressman is that there was a fleeting mention of, Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. I, I I think it was just a, a a bar I set for myself and saw and you know wanted to see if I could clear it. When you were
0: when you were writing it, were you imagining it as? See, I, I'm always fascinated by framing devices. I you know this is one one reason why I, I struggled a little little bit with the new Wes Anderson movie because it has a very strange framing. Oh, device. I haven't seen it yet. Did you like it? I I didn't I didn't love it, but partly for for. It's like a play within a play, but I think the whole thing might be the play. I'm still struggling with it. It's a, it's a neither it gets here nor there. it's a little
1: precious. Gets, I mean, it, I love his, I love his stuff, but it does get a little twee. Yeah, it can, it can be.
0: Uh, but this, but so, so here, uh, I, I'm curious when you when you're putting it when you're putting it together, and again, you have this kind of very specific voice for both of them, but also stylistically, are you imagining it like? they have written this book together that, or she is writing a story about it. What's, what's the, what is the, the framing device from your, um, from your perspective as the, as the author of these
1: two authors? I'm thinking of Ike as just telling the story of what happened to him. He's not sitting down and writing it. He's, this is just him talking, uh, or thinking. I mean, all the chapters do start with, uh, every chapter starts with an Elvis lyric, um, because he loves all of us. but uh it's not it's just him telling a story to somebody and Lucy's a journalist. This is her she's submitting this somewhere. That's just kind of how I pictured it in my head. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh all right. So let's um let's talk a little bit about uh influences here. I, when you uh as a as an author, who are who are some of the writers that you were uh I don't know, uh, philosophically or artistically indebted to? Um, as you were, you're sitting down to write these, these oh, books. There's so,
1: there's so many. Um, so, I mean, just, uh, I loved as a kid, I loved Roald Dahl. Um, but, uh, in terms of like stuff I've read in this, as an adult, uh, Pete Dexter and Richard, um, Richard Price are huge, uh, influences. Matt Clam is a friend and a writer who I admire a lot. Gillian Flynn Uh, I admire a lot. Um, There are a lot of thriller writers that I think do an amazing job who I admire. Um, David Baldacci and and Harlan Coben and Don Winslow and TJ Newman and um, Michael Connelly. I love, I love the Lincoln lawyer TV show. I haven't seen the second season yet, Mm -hmm. but he's done a really good job. And also Bosch. I love that show too. So there are, there are a lot of people like that, but I just, I'm a ravenous reader. I'm constantly reading I'm usually reading like three or four books at the same time. Um, You know, one is on Audible in my car. One is on Kindle on my phone. One's a graphic novel and one's a print novel. You know, it's so there are too many to name, but those are those are a few.
0: Yeah, I I will say that this does these books do fit kind of firmly into the uh, thriller beach read mode. If you're if you're headed out to. If you're headed out to the beach this this summer for for a week, you know, uh, you. I mean, I, I will say you do not have to have read uh, the Hellfire Club or the Devil May Dance before reading All the Demons Are Here. Um, Jake is right; you can. I think you could probably get most of what's going on in All the Demons Are Here without having read them, but I would recommend reading them because they're interesting, and you do get a lot of uh, you you get a lot of background on Congressman Martyr and his wife Margaret the, that that will be, uh, that will pay off a bit in uh in the third book. Um, let's, let's, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about the devil may dance because it is, it's very much uh, a, a book about the intersection of Hollywood and politics
1: and all and, that. And, uh, and for a, for a film guy, uh, the, the Manchurian candidate and the filming of the Manchurian candidate and the filming of other movies, including the birds and, and others are, are, uh, major parts of the book. Exactly. Exactly. So, what were, uh, uh,
0: what were, um, I don't know. What were some of your resources, uh, aside from just watch watching the birds or, or, um, the Manchurian Candidate, great movies, of course. But, uh, what were, uh, what was your research like there? What were you reading to, to kind of get prepped for that?
1: I read um, a lot of great books on the Rat Pack. Um, Nick Tatches has a great one on um, Dean Martin called Dino. Uh, that I read. Kaplan, I forget his first name, uh, Richard Kaplan, I think. But he he, uh, he wrote a couple um, biographies of Sinatra that were great. I read um, Sinatra's Valet, wrote a book. I, I read that. I read a book. Uh, I read a Judith Exner's book, uh, the woman who allegedly had an affair with both JFK and uh, Sam Giancana. I read her book, which, you know, it's tough to find because I some Somebody got rid of a lot of those copies. I don't know who it was, but somebody did. And uh, just, I read a lot of stuff about the seedy the business of film, um, Tippi Hedren's uh, memoir and, and others. Um, because one, as much as uh, the Health Heart Club is about politics in the 50s and the um, All the Demons Are Here, the new one is about kind of American culture and the rise of tabloid journalism in the 70s. The 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 second one, the the Devil May Dance, is really about Hollywood, uh, and it's about the intersection of Hollywood and politics, definitely. But it's also it's there's a, just a ton about how how gross Hollywood is and how seedy it is mm-hmm. and how how much people like Sinatra or Hitchcock or whoever get away with uh, in that era. Although, Hitch, although I should note that Sinatra's not a he's not a villain in the book at all. In fact, at the end of the day, he's probably a rather sympathetic if tragic character. Um, he, but I, 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 want, I, there, there are two books, uh, full of essays about just the Manchurian candidate, including one by Greil Marcus that I read. I read a lot of film criticism about, um, the Manchurian candidate and about the significance of that film. We should note that we're talking about the sixties version of the Manchurian candidate, not the, yes. not the one, uh, with Liv Schreiber. Yes.
0: Uh, the Den, the Denzel Washington, Lee F. Schreiber one, uh, uh, the, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it, it is an interesting, uh, kind of glimpse into that, that, that moment in Hollywood. Um, it, did you get any pushback from Sinatra fans for your portrayal in the, in the book? Because it definitely, it is a warts
1: and all, uh, sort of thing. You know, I always prepare for that. I, I thought that I would get um, pushback in the first one. I wondered, like, what the family of Estes Kefauver would say, or. Or, you know, everybody in that book pretty much is dead. Um, But I wondered what the family would say. And I did wonder if the Sinatra daughters um, were going to say anything, but they didn't. Uh, I think they're still even following me on Twitter, if that's even a mark of anything uh, these days, given what's happening to Twitter. But but, um, uh, no, I haven't yet. Um, I, I mean, everything I have in the book, other than like Sinatra's role in the plot of the book, which is, um, you know, obviously invented is, is pretty much based on, on real things. I mean, like his love for Ava Gardner, his suicide attempts, his whatever relationship he had with the mob, it it was there. I mean, and he was, he got prouder and prouder of it as he, as he got older and older. Um, but the, the, I mean, there was this weird meeting in Cuba in the forties that Sinatra, uh, went to, I mean, there's just, There's a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So no, but no, I haven't. I, I, you know, it's, and it's also like, I wondered what the Knievel family, I still wonder if the Knievel family is going to react to his portrayal in all the demons are here. Um, And then his son, Robbie Knievel died earlier this year. Uh, Very sadly, I think he had a kidney problem or something. So I think there are still a few Knievels out there, but um, I guess I'll hear from them or not. Uh, (laughs) Yeah.
0: I feel like I mean I I I feel like Knievel is probably a harder uh, guy to defend because his whole I mean his whole shtick was was as we see here in the book kind of as a, a showman a big a big big talker. Um, uh, let's uh, you mentioned social media I, and since you are you are a social media guy you're on you're on the services. Uh, well, let's too just many I, of them I, they I, have what?
1: to stop. I'm, it's enough already. I got <laughs> I'm on I'm on like eight of them now and it's like please just stop. I can't keep posting this.
0: All right, uh, so we've got we've got uh, I, quick quick reaction to all right. What's the vibe on Blue Sky? Do you want to be
1: invited? I'm, I have an. Invite. I'm in.
0: I know. I'm in. I'm in. I'm on Blue Sky. It's not. It's I, I I check in every once in a while. It it doesn't work for me because it's very weird. Too much Alf porn uh, in the
1: early going <laughs> for you me. Can, I did not. You can avoid the elf porn. I, did, I have I avoided avoid all the weird. There's like, I think there's one raunchy thread that that people are on and it's it's been going on for for months now and i i have yet to to look at it but i've heard about it but i've I've yet to look at it um i um blue sky is uh see you know one of the problems with twitter is that it became impossible uh to make a joke Mm -hmm. without just horrible horrible reactions and it all, I mean, I'm not even getting into the Nazis, which is a problem, but, <laughs> but the, I mean, the Nazis Separate. are a big problem for a guy like, him. but, but, um, but, uh, the, the, it's just like, you know, so for instance, Ed Sheeran, uh, was found not guilty in that civil suit from the estate of Marvin Gaye. And I went on blue sky and I wrote Ed Sheeran's walking the streets, a free man, WTF. Now i was joking. Like I'm not actually upset. Like I, I don't care. <laughs> like I mean, whatever. That's he got his, you know, the gays got their, the Marvin Gaye family got their day in court, and whatever. But that's a joke. It's just a stupid joke, and it made people laugh. And it's such a small community, and 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 pretty much everybody, ninety-five percent of the people there are like, this is just supposed to be fun. We're not supposed to be here like attacking each other, and like you know. So I got away with it. But if I had said that a joke on Twitter. It would have been like, so this is what you think is important, and why aren't you covering this? And it's just like it's just so right. tiresome. Yeah. It's not. It's not you know. It's not. It's not some some per- personal burden. It's just like it made it, it just. Twitter stopped being fun about, for me, about five or six years ago.
0: Now, what about threads? Threads is the hot new thing. Everyone's on threads. What what what's your sense of the the vibe? Trying to figure threads. out the vibe
1: there. It okay. seems like Twitter before the Nazis invaded. So it's okay. like you know. 1939 Paris, Um, uh, but I don't know what it's going to be. Like I haven't really made any, I I think, I think I posted something like seriously guys, I don't want no scrubs just to see, you know, whatever. Like you just, just what social media for a 54 year old anchorman should be and could be, are two different things. Like I want it to be someplace I can just go and make a joke and like play off. Like that's how I first met you. Frankly, mm-hmm. yeah. on social media, on Twitter, you were yeah. funny and engaging. And there were all these fun memes about how you're always wrong, which you're not. Obviously, you're usually right. But it's a nice. but it's a but it's a, it's a funny meme. And like I've met so many people. And then, you know, it doesn't matter how many quality filters you put up, like at a certain point, the the bad faith actors uh, just make it not fun to like ex- have exchanges with people anymore. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Do you agree? Yeah, totally. No, I'm, this, is, this is one reason why I like
0: threads for now, but it, anything that gets a beyond a certain size right, gets that's untenable. Problem. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to manage that balance. Because, I mean, look, there's the other, the other, there's the other issue here, which is the network effect of having a large network is great because you get more, get more of those endorphins when you get the likes and the replies and the retweets and whatever. But, like, it comes at a real cost. Um, And it's 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 an issue.
1: One of the things that that is nice about Blue Sky is that it is is a place where a lot of people who have been silenced by the Nazis uh, feel comfortable. Uh, And and, uh, I don't even necessarily mean Nazis, although sadly, in this day and age, when people say Nazis, they often mean it literally. But there are a lot of people there are a lot of women and journalists of color and activists of color and people in the trans community who are like on blue sky and like exhaling for the first time in like seven years, because like people aren't like they they'll post something about, I don't know their area of expertise on, no. on let's just say film or whatever. And like, nobody's saying you're a dude, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, yeah, I, people can think whatever they want about the trans community, but like they, they should be allowed to like exist. Just like yeah. live their life. Yeah. So that's one of the nice things about Blue Sky. And it would be nice if threads were that for everyone. But again, we'll see, you're right. It gets big enough and then the bad faith actors start coming in. There is a there is a contingent of people, not just Americans, and they're left, right, center, they're from all forces who are just determined to ruin joy. Who are just determined to like you might post something about a movie. Yeah. And they're like, let's say like you, you didn't, li- I don't even know what your view of flash was. Cause I've been on vacation for the last few weeks, but, but, uh, let's say you liked flash and somebody wants to come in and start talking to you about Ezra Miller's, you know, troublesome personal life. Yeah. And like, how dare you? And it's just like, I, I agree with you that he shouldn't have been doing these things. I'm not talking about that, though. I'm a film critic. You know what I mean? Right. Like, there's yeah. Right. Trust that's a, that. I'm very familiar with that that whole conversation. Don't worry.
0: All right. Let's I, let's let's bring it back to the books. There has to be somebody in Hollywood circling these. We got where There's going to be a Netflix series or a. There a is. Movie I'll, I'll tell you what's.
1: I'll tell you what's going on. So there is um, a right before the writer's strike. Um. I We were working on, and I can't tell you the name of the showrunner, um, but a showrunner from a major streamer and an executive producer that was going to take the job. We were all talking with about a streamer version of The Devil May Dance uh, with Christian Slater as Charlie. And um, Slater is in and excited. I met him. When we were filming, I don't know if you saw Fleischman is in trouble. Sure, it was a really yeah. good show. I think it was yeah. on FX, um, yeah. based on a great book by by Taffy. And um, I met him. I'm like, for some reason I'm in a scene. I, I I don't know what I'm doing there. It's supposed to be the year 2000 or something. You know, when I was 31 and didn't own a suit, but but I'm in a scene interviewing him, and uh, and Slater and I hit it off as, as he's a wonderful guy. And anybody uh, my age, you know, would be excited to meet him because he was the star of so many films that were so important to people in the, like pump up the volume and Heather's and broken arrow and, yeah. uh, and just a million things from that era, late or eight, late eighties and early nineties. Anyway, not to mention like how good he was on Mr. Robot and stuff like sure. that. Yeah. Um, anyway, he and I hit it off. I said, you should read these novels because you'd be a good Charlie. Um, Cause he, he's, he's, I think he's very well able to convey like being a good guy, but struggling with demons, which is Charlie's, kind of shtick um and he also has a face that like i could see existing in 1954 or 1962 you know the way that spielberg cast saving private ryan he was looking for like first generation american faces Mm -hmm. anyway so slater is excited he's in and he liked the devil may dance and and uh we were talking about like very seriously with about getting something going and then the writer's strike so as soon as that's resolved uh i'll let you know and and uh and you know we'll do a we'll definitely we'll definitely do a bulwark goes to Hollywood when we have more to tell you about that. And I'll bring Slater with me.
0: Hey, all right. Let's, uh, well, we, I, 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 as you know, I always like to, to close these, uh, interviews by asking if there's anything I should have asked. If you think there's anything people should know, uh, about all the demons are here. Any of your other books, anything else going on in the world? What, uh, <laughs> what should folks know about?
1: Um, no, I mean, you think you had anything. The book is, the book is, uh, I'm really excited about it. I worked really hard on it and I think it's fun. And the one thing I'll say that's different about this third book, um, in addition to hopefully I became a better writer along the way, because you do learn as you, as you, as you go, uh, when it comes to this sort of thing, especially learning how to, as Faulkner put it, um, kill your babies and cut things, eliminate chapters, eliminate paragraphs, et cetera, kill your darlings, I guess he said, um, I know that I am competing, not just with other books, but with podcasts and streamers and Twitter and threads and blue sky. Like I know when I ask you to read my book, like I, that I'm, I'm asking you to like pay attention to something when you've got like a million things coming at you. And I wrote it thinking that like, I want people to dive into it and and really care about the characters and really turn the page to see what happens next because they don't really know what's going to happen next. And um, so I I hope that comes across. But I just want to know that I want people to know I'm, I'm trying to meet you where you are. I get how much of a demand there is for your eyeballs. And I'm really trying to I'm really trying to meet you where you are. Uh, I will say again, uh, these are
0: compulsively readable books. Uh, they are, uh, uh, I read all three of them in the span of time. It took me to read blood Meridian last month. Um, so, uh, you know, it is, it's, they are, they are good. Uh, I do ask less reads. of you than
1: Cormac McCarthy does. Yes, That's true. I ask, I ask less of you.
0: It's, it is good. And I do, I look, I will say just uh, put on my, my, I don't write a lot of literary criticism, but I will throw on my credit card for a second. And I will say that, um, I think I think all the demons are here uh the it's it is it is it, in the first in the first uh book in particular there was definitely a little bit of uh and I, again I don't I don't want this to come across as too harsh but a little bit of name dropping like these are names I know from this from this <laughs> era and I and by the time we get to all the demons are here I think that that that's been worked out of your system it is it's it's snappier snippier uh, gets gets really going, but uh, everybody should read the Hellfire Club and the Devil May Dance. Uh, in but, addition to this, but right so. now all
1: you need to do is read uh, all the demons are here. That's that's yep. that's assignment number one. Yes,
0: that's uh, pick it up, get it on the bestseller list, folks. All right, uh, that is it for this week's episode. Uh, my name again, Sonny Bunch. I am culture editor at the Bulwark, uh, and I will be back next week with another episode. We'll see you guys then.